Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Wow. What do we do if the executive branch refuses to carry out the law? Right. I put this forward as a serious question. I have an article that is running all over the Internet right now. It's on a number of sites I think right now it's probably easiest to find on Common Dreams or on Truth Dig or Raw Story. How our republic could die in the age of Trump in a stunning parallel to the fall of Rome is the title. And what I'm pointing out here, and I think this is really worth pointing out because I think most Americans, you know, frankly, didn't study civics. And so they don't get all this stuff. But it's, it's pretty important stuff. Is that the only branch of government that actually has legal enforcement power, that has the power of the police, is the executive branch. You know, the Constitution divides our government into three parts. Articles 1, Article 2, Article 3, right? Articles 1, 2, and 3. Article 1 is Congress. Congress has no police power. You know, they've got the sergeant at arms, basically. They can control their own chamber, but they have no meaningful police power. That's Article 1. Article 3 are the courts. The courts have no police power. They can make court orders all day long, bang their gavels, yell and scream. But if the Article 2 branch of government, the executive branch of government, the president and the agencies under the president, all of the police agencies, the FBI and whatnot, all of the military agencies the Army, the Navy, the Marine Corps, if they don't go along with an enforcement, then it doesn't happen. And, you know, like I said, I think most Americans don't realize this. You know, most Americans, or at least most Americans under 50, never studied civics. Alexander Hamilton laid this out in Federalist Number 78. He said the courts, the legislature, has the power to appropriate and spend money, but they do not have the power of the police. The courts have the power to decide what is legal and what is not, to rule on things, but they don't have the power to enforce their decisions. Only the executive has the power to actually enforce. 
So let me just go through this thought experiment with you, and I'd like to ask you where you think this might end. We start out, Congress opens impeachment hearings, which gives Congress even more power to demand things, to subpoena people. They can say to Don McGahn, you can try to ignore this. Right now, the Justice Department is saying McGahn can't testify because it has nothing to do with a legitimate legislative purpose. Well, the Constitution makes it very clear that impeachment is a legitimate purpose of Congress. So if the Judiciary Committee opens an impeachment hearing and they say, okay, Don McGahn, you have to come and testify. And McGahn still refuses to testify, then they go to the courts, right? McGahn's refusing to testify. Trump is refusing to turn over documents. Just like Nixon initially refused to turn over the White House tape, said, nope, that's privileged. So then it goes to the courts. In fact, right now, Trump's taxes are going to the D.C. Circuit Court. The chief judge there is Merrick Garland. This is going to be interesting. But anyhow, it goes to the courts. And it works its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court says to the president, just like they did with Nixon, you've got to let McGahn testify. This is an impeachment hearing. You can't say no. And so Congress holds a hearing. And McGahn doesn't show up. So Congress now has a legal court order from the Supreme Court saying McGahn has to testify. They send that legal court order over to the White House and say, you must use your police powers to transport McGahn to Congress and have him testify. Right? Use the Secret Service, use the Capitol Police, use the military, use whatever you want. You've got all the police powers. And the guy who would enforce that would be the head of the Justice Department, because that's where all the police powers are, right? And that's Bill Barr. By the way, there's a precedent for this. As Andrew Jackson said twice during his presidency, once with the Trail of Tears, when the Supreme Court ruled against him and said, you must stop the Trail of Tears, and he said, tough luck. He said, Roger Taney has made his decision, let him enforce it. Roger Taney at the time was the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. And he did the Trail of Tears anyway. He completely ignored the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court has no power to enforce their actions. And then the Supreme Court again ruled that Andrew Jackson couldn't end the Second Bank of the United States. And Jackson said, I'm going to do it. And he pulled the charter on the Second Bank and the Second Bank shut down and we slid into the worst, deepest and longest depression in the history of the United States because Andrew Jackson defied the Supreme Court. But he just said, I'm not going to do it. So... Congress holds the hearings. They submit the lawful court order from the Supreme Court to the executive branch. Trump gives it to Bill Barr. Bill Barr says, I'm not going to force McGahn to testify. And Congress is sitting there on their thumbs. And, you know, Trump says to Congress, says to Jerry Nadler, "Okay, enforce your own decision. Good luck, which is essentially what he's been saying all along. So then Congress issues a contempt citation and says Don McGahn has to go to jail if he won't come and testify. The contempt citation goes to the courts. It goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. The court, the Supreme Court says, yep, Don McGahn's in contempt of Congress. Throw him in jail. They say that to the president, to the executive branch. Hey, it's your branch. He worked for you. He's refusing to testify under your orders. So you have to put him in one of our jails. We got all kinds of federal prisons. The president runs those. And the president says, no, I'm not going to do it. What do we do? I mean, at that point, have we become fully a full-blown strongman form of government? Have we lost our democracy? 
See, the simple fact of the matter is, as I point out in this article that, as I said, is all over the Internet right now, is that Congress and the courts really do not have the power to enforce their own laws that Congress makes or rulings that the courts make. The only agency that can enforce those, that can use the power, the literal force power of government, the power to use handcuffs and guns and jail cells, the only branch that has that power is the executive branch, the Article II branch. And if they refuse to use that power, what do we do? Now, they have refused to use that power in the past. You know, Harriet Myers was supposed to testify before Congress when George W. Bush was president. He said, no, she's not going to testify. They took it to court. The court said, yes, she has to testify. Bush ignored it. That term of Congress expired. It expires every two years. And this current term of Congress will expire at the end of 2020, next year. And when that term of Congress expired, their order expired. Their demand that Harriet Myers come and testify. And so it became moot. Bush won. Same thing happened in the Fast and Furious investigation, where Eric Holder testified before Congress seven times, turned over hundreds of thousands of documents, and Congress still wanted him to come back. And at that point, he was like, okay, this is just harassment from the Republicans in Congress. I'm not going to do it. They held him in contempt. The courts sustained it. But by that time, a new Congress had been installed and the old stuff was gone. So it's like we've been on this road for a while getting here. Now, you want to take this a step farther, a step even more extreme? The president refuses, Trump refuses to allow McGahn to testify. And, and it could be anybody, by the way. I'm using McGahn as just an example. Refuses to turn over his tax returns. Pick your poison, as it were. Trump refuses to do it. The Supreme Court orders it. Trump says, no, I ain't going to do it. So the Congress says, okay, we're going to impeach you for that. That was Article 3 of the Nixon impeachments, is that he defied a subpoena. And so they hold hearings, and they impeach him in the House of Representatives, and it goes to the Senate. And let's say at this point, it's so obvious what Trump is doing, and it's so disgusting and so horrifying, that a couple of dozen Republicans in the Senate say, okay, we're with you. And they convict him in the Senate and say, sorry, you got to leave office. And Trump at that point says, I'm not going. And he turns to his own military and says, you guys with me or not? What happens? I mean, the last time something close to that last scenario that I just described happened was when Abraham Lincoln refused to enforce the Supreme Court order by Roger Tawney, again, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, in Dred Scott. Dred Scott, the Supreme Court in the Dred Scott decision said that Black people are slaves everywhere in the United States, not just slaves, property. And Abraham Lincoln became president, and he said, I am not going to enforce that Supreme Court decision. And a bunch of people in the South said, well, if you're not going to enforce that decision, then we're not going to go along with you. A bunch of the military in the South, the Southern states themselves, they each, every state has a militia. It's called a National Guard. Now they were called militias back then. It's the same thing. And the state militias and the state governments in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, within a month or so of Abraham Lincoln becoming president, as I recall, I'm not the Civil War historian at that level of granularity, said, okay, we're pulling out of the republic. And we fought a war for several years and killed 600,000 Americans in the process. 
because of this, right? In part because the president refused to enforce a Supreme Court order. What do you think is going to happen? How do you see this playing out? This is the Tom Hartman Program. Or there's another possible scenario. What if people turn out in the streets? Now, are those people going to be the supporters of the presidents or the opponents of the presidents? Or both? Hey, Louise and I have been using CBD for a couple of years now for basically pain relief and sleep, but we had been using CBD that also had some pot in it, I suppose, because of, you know, it's legal here in Oregon. Um, But now there's a CBD oil that's legal all over the United States. It's the best quality you can get. And it's derived from hemp, which is, you know, related to marijuana, but it's not marijuana. And so it's, it's legal and it doesn't get you high. And, but it does you know, have these extraordinary properties of uh, pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. It's from New Leaf Naturals. NuleafNaturals.com is the website. Um, CBD oil, non-intoxicating, so it's ideal if you're looking for the health benefits of cannabinoids without you know, getting high. This does not get you high. It's non-toxic and has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory uh, properties. And the, this is the brand that, that Louise and I trust and use, New Leaf, NU Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals, the highest quality concentrated CBD oil on the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the United States. And as I said, the only ingredient is hemp, so it's totally pure and simple and legal. So go to NewLeafNaturals.com, N-U-LeafNaturals.com, to save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, to spell T-H-O-M. Go to NULeafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, NewLeafNaturals.com. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get 30% off. And if you're the first person to tweet me, the NewLeafNaturals.com website, I'll send you a free bottle of New Leaf Natural CBD oil. Welcome back. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsForTheOldGoat.com and Loving What You Do, new book by Ellen Ratner. Hey, Luke. Hi, Tom. Hey. First of all, if I may break with my normal tradition of following the issues that you've been following. If Trump continues to defy Congress, and if the Supreme Court says, Don McGahn, you're in contempt of Congress, you go to jail. And they say to Bill Barr, arrest Don McGahn and put him in jail. And Bill Barr says, no, I'm not going to do that. What next? I don't know where we find ourselves. I would encourage everyone to go back and to look at an article that was written by Kurt Bardella in The Atlantic. He was an advisor to the House Oversight Committee from 2009 to 2013. He was writing in The Atlantic last month basically saying we wouldn't have let Obama get away with this. And he was, you know, he was working for the Republicans as they were right. uh, subpoenaing uh, all these Obama officials when they voted to hold uh, Eric Holder in contempt for not giving over documents related to that alleged gun After he'd given over over a million like, documents and appeared before Congress seven times to testify. Right. <laughs> well, of course. But anyway, so he says, look, we, you know, we, uh, 
he, he uses the language that Republicans uses use to try and condemn the Obama administration for all these uh, what they claim to be sort of, you know, ignoring, uh, you know, Congress's subpoena power and says there's absolutely it's not not OK that Republicans are not standing up and using the same arguments now to defend the role of Congress here. And I wonder if this is, again, not one of those instances that Congress will come to uh, regret. We've seen a little bit of norm busting in the past few months. The emergency declaration, which gives the White House all of this power to just sort of set policy regardless of what Congress wants. Reallocate you funds. Know, if, yeah. if we do set a brazen new precedent of the executive branch just walling itself off from Congress, when Democrats are in Congress and the Republican is in the White House, where do we find ourselves when the story flips? I doubt you'll have much remorse from Republicans when they're once again in the minority and, you know, it's President Kamala Harris or whatever. But, uh, but you know, perhaps the, the executive branch, if the Supreme Court ruling comes and helps them out, uh, will be further empowered to be able to just operate independently. I still don't think that uh, is a, a type of point scoring. I think the end game on this is the same end game that we saw played out in Hungary. We saw it played out in Poland. We saw it played out in the Philippines. Yeah. We just saw now it's played out in Brazil. And that is that a democratic republic form of government becomes a strongman form of government. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid uh, I'm not terribly optimistic about the White House bowing to even a federal court ruling demanding that they hand over documents or produce witnesses. Right. And if they don't, I mean, you know, the, the, the point that I made earlier in the program yeah. is, you know, twice Andrew Jackson, whose picture hangs next to Donald Trump every day in the Oval Office, twice Andrew Jackson said to the Supreme Court, screw you, I'm not going to do what you said. Supreme Court said no trail of tears. He said, you know, tough luck. And he did the trail of tears and he got reelected. Um, yep. The Supreme Court said, no, you can't shut down the Second National Bank. He shut down the Second National Bank. It created a huge depression, but hey, he ignored the Supreme Court. And then the only other time I know of that this has happened, maybe there are others, was when Abraham Lincoln said, I'm not going to uh, enforce Dred Scott. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to do what the Supreme Court said. We're not going to acknowledge that ruling. And that led directly to the, to the Civil War. Yeah, it gives me tremendous pause. And I think your connections specifically to Hungary and Poland are quite apt and ones that uh, people should look up as a model of how this country could end up. Those are, that's, I think, right on point. Do you want to speak to, to one of those, Luke? Uh, I, I'm afraid I probably am not equipped to do so terribly eloquently okay. <laughs> on such short notice. Then let's talk about Iran. Um, are, yeah. The uh, nuclear officials in Iran... Now, this is Iran itself saying we have quadrupled our uranium enrichment capacity. Capacity is a different thing from what you actually yeah. have. Is this basically them, you know, doing a little chest thumping here? Yeah, they're allowed to produce enriched uranium up to 3.67 percent enrichment, which is enough to use in power plants far, far below weapons grade or even medium. Right. Grade. Weapons grade requires over 90 percent, as I recall. Yeah, and yeah, and then medium grade starts at around 20, which is still concerning for other reasons, but it yeah. would slow down the breakout time to a weapon, but it's still not much of a problem. I guess what we should really be watching here is to see how an effort to try and persuade, particularly Europe, to re-tweak some of the provisions of this deal and to cut some financial breaks to Iran. That's, I think, what this threat is about. Let's see how it's spun in Washington. I've spoken to some nuclear experts today, arms control experts, who say, yes, what Iran is threatening to do here is a violation of the JCPOA, the nuclear deal, but it does not pose a near-term proliferation rate that Iran is still so far away from breaking out to a nuclear weapon, from operating heavy water reactors, or some of the other things that it's sort of uh, provoking around, that 
if if this is spun as Iran is racing to a weapon, then we should just be on the lookout. That is a big uh, manipulation of what the underlying facts here. What we should be concerned about is the July 7th deadline. That's when Iran says if it doesn't have any new economic provisions given to it by Europe to facilitate trade and specifically international oil sales, then it will start enriching uranium at a higher level capacity. And that is more concerning. But we still have a few months before we get there. Europe has a few more cards on its table. But again, this is I'm just setting everyone up for the inevitable yeah. Fox headline today that says this is a nuclear threat. As of today, it is not. But uh, but keep watching that. Yeah. And if after July 7th, they start enriching and then, then Israel takes out a couple of their nuclear plants, as has happened in the past, then we're in really dangerous territory. Luke, thanks so much. Good talking with you. Thank you, Tom. Luke Vargas with Talk Media News. You're listening to Tom Hartman. So, my question, what do we do? Are we looking at a slow-motion coup d'etat by the executive branch? I think we are. Kathy in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Hey, Kathy, your thoughts. Hey, Tom. I'm glad you're talking about this today. I spent the weekend talking to everybody I knew about this. I knew, for some reason, I knew Inauguration Day that this was going to happen. I don't know why, but I just did. But at this point, the Senate knew that Barr was going to pretty much back Trump no matter what he did. I think that they knew that they were going to get a yes man, and I think the fix has been in for a very long time. When you look at what Congress, what the Senate has done, what Mitch McConnell has done, I think it's been clear. We have been watching a coup in real time for about a year and a half. And once the Supreme Court rules, they've got a turnover, they've got to allow the testimony, they're going to ignore it. I have no doubt they will ignore it, and I have no doubt that when that happens, you will know the coup is complete. Now, I don't know what we do about it. I mean, that's the scary thing. What do we do? You know, we talked a few months ago about whether or not Trump you know, get his little militia people out and stage some kind of war. Um, his friend Donnie Deutsch seems to think that he will start a civil war to Steve Power. I don't know, but I think at this point, we're kind of screwed. Yeah. Because Bob Barr is going to do whatever the president wants him to. And like you said, the enforcement is with the executive branch. Without that enforcement... There's lawlessness. There is absolutely no law in this government, in this country. And, and I am and, and I'm this, 67. I'm terrified. Let's not be terrified. Let's be active here. Let's we need to be active. But, but, I, but we need to envision any what? possible scenario here. And that's why the point that I made in this article that's floating all over the Internet right now about the parallels between America and Rome, the point that I made is that it's always been that way. Right. Literally from the George Washington administration to today, Hillary Clinton didn't want to testify for eight hours before Congress, but she did anyway. Nixon didn't want to turn over the tapes when the Supreme Court ordered him to, but he did anyway. It wasn't because they were afraid that the police were going to show up and throw them in jail. It wasn't that they were afraid of some police power. There was none that would compel them unless it came out of the executive branch itself. Nixon wasn't going to order himself thrown in jail, but he did it because he respected the institution of the Supreme Court and the Constitution of the United States. Donald Trump respects neither, and apparently neither does Bill Barr. And that, I think, Kathy, has put us into a very, very dangerous situation. And I am hoping that one of my listeners has noticed something that I've missed here, that there is some way out of this that I'm missing, because I don't see it. Kathy, thank you for the call. You know, we've got to figure this thing out. Let's do it together.
You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. What should our country do? How do we respond when the executive branch refuses to execute the laws? Their single job. David in Park Hills, Missouri. Hey, David, thanks for watching Free Speech. Your thoughts? When the executive branch isn't doing its job, we need to fire him just like anybody else. I think Nancy Pelosi needs to ease up a little bit and we get into an investigation about impeachment. And one of the David, that's what she's trying to do right now. That's what Jerry right. Nadler was trying to do this morning. We're trying to investigate whether this president committed crimes, high right. crimes and misdemeanors. And the people who could testify as to whether he did or not, and Don McGahn, in fact, told Mueller on multiple occasions that Donald Trump committed crimes, that he ordered him to fire, for example, Robert Mueller. That's a crime. That's an attempt to obstruct justice, an attempt to block an investigation. That's a crime. McGahn has already on the record for that, but he would not appear before Congress today because Trump told him not to. And so how do you do what you are talking about, David? How do you do the investigation if every attempt to investigate is blocked by the executive branch. How One do you do it? One of the options is either going to the streets before Trump or against Trump. That's the last thing that we should be asking for. You know, I get, you know, going out in the street, you know, like today, all, all people are protesting the ab abortion bans. I'm all in favor of that. that right. But that, that's a very different thing than... You know, people going out on the street and in the streets and saying, get Trump out of office, which is essentially, you know, calling for something that's extrajudicial and and not legal. And then on the other hand, pro-Trump people showing up with all their guns saying, oh, no, we're going to defend him. And, you know, basically we could have shooting matches in our streets. We don't I want know. that. And, but Trump's not that smart. So somebody. He may not be, but he's got people around him who are. Bill Barr certainly is. Look at what he's doing. And Bill Barr is doing this because of his fundamentalist Catholic beliefs. He's been saying for years that he's on a mission from God. Thank you, Tom. Okay, thank you, David. Carolyn in Gustine, California. If I'm saying that right, Carolyn, what's on your mind? Yep, hi, Tom. How are you doing? Hope Good. you're doing well. Thank you. Um, it seems like the, the problem that we're having right now is that we have all of the elements in play in the um, people that are going out to do the protests, but the problem is the only thing that we seem to only think we are allowed to do is protesting, and I don't understand why we are following some of those particular rules when almost every time something changes happens because we've, we've stopped following the rules because we know the rules are broken. If we use the models of the cooperatives, aligning with all of the uh, protesters that are out there right now and start to figure out how all of the laws are being written by external lobbyists. They're not even being written by our representatives any longer. We start breaking up all these little things state by state by state of all the different bad things that are happening and start to figure out how we can rewrite them so that it actually is for the people. That's a different way of using the people power of rebuilding our foundation from the ground up instead of just following the rules, because we know that the rules can be broken just by looking at the president right now. I'm, I'm not sure I understood a specific suggestion in there, Carol. Well, I think what I'm trying to say is that we have a lot of the groups already in place. We had, it started with the Occupy group, who was actually right. looking at a lot of the problems of the country. No, I get we all that. Let's say, let's say tomorrow morning, five million people showed up in the streets, which would be huge. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it, we've never had, I think the biggest in the history of the United States was around three or four million. Let's say tomorrow, five million people showed up in the streets and said, Trump, you have to allow Don McGahn to testify. And Trump says, no. What do we do? 
Actually, I'm not talking about going into the streets to, to protest against Dom again or, or anybody, because okay. they're actually the... Going into the streets the, to do what, then? No, I'm talking about going into groups, individual groups, and looking at all of our local governing laws, looking at how our, our schools are being governed by the type of people that are doing the privatizing of our school system, right. uh, rewriting the education system, rewriting, looking at the laws, trying to figure out what laws oh, are actually... These are all really important problems. things to do, Carolyn, once we have a functioning republic again. But right now, we are in a constitutional crisis. We've got a president of the United States who is claiming that he is above the law, that he does not have to follow the law, that when a judge orders him to follow the law, that he doesn't have to do that because that judge was appointed by Barack Obama. This is not normal. Well, no, that's definitely not normal. But the problem that we're having is we're waiting until 2020 thinking that everything is going to be good if everybody votes. But the problem is only half of the country is voting. So you're literally only engaging a quarter of each side. Right. You've got 50, close to 50% of the people who are, don't even engage any longer because they know the system is broken. If you fix the system, they'll get engaged again. If you make them involved in fixing the system, they'll get engaged again. Use the co-op model. Try to start rebuilding everything simultaneously while you're going out to protest. We can chew gum and walk at the same time. Well, and there are a lot of people doing that. I mean, there's a lot of activity toward good government. I think it's remarkable how many of the Democratic candidates for president right now are refusing to take corporate PAC money and things like that. It's up to like eight or nine of them. Those are all good things. And I get the, the overall concept, and I'm totally supportive of it. But for this crisis at this moment, there's important and there's urgent, and I think this is actually both, which is the rare, the rare confluence. Carolyn, thank you for the call. Paul in Kirkland, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Hey, Tom. Uh, let me digress a little bit, not to be wonkish about the Trail of Tears, but I think maybe you did point out that this was Andrew Jackson defying John Marshall, not Rod That's correct. Carney. That's correct, yeah. Okay, and, but... To not just not to make a correction, but remember, this was the Trail of Tears, the Worcester versus Georgia case was in 1832, and the reason I'm uh, getting wonkish about this is that oh, this so, wandered into the next presidential administration. The next presidential administration was Andrew Jackson. He was reelected. Oh, okay. So he even okay. defied the Supreme Court. Right. Okay. Thank you. And then, I mean, this is the point: is that we're we're very much in this sort of situation where. The president defies the Supreme Court, yet he's reelected, and then he appointed Roger Taney right. in the last year of his presidency. And right. Roger Taney was one of the worst things that ever happened to this country. Right. The Second National Bank, he also defied John Marshall's decision, in, and not just John Marshall, the Supreme Court, the majority of the Supreme Court. In 1819, the Second uh, U.S. National Bank, state of Maryland, tried to tax it out of existence, and the court said you couldn't do that. And established presumed right. powers of Congress. I think what the problem is, if we don't, we're not going to get anything out of this. We're not going to see the, the uh, Mueller report. We're not going to, until we go into impeachment. And if the Congress doesn't exercise its power, it, it risks losing it. We will get an impeachment uh, hearings, but we'll also get a trial. And if the, even in the Senate, if there's not a conviction, the trial will not be like the Senate hearings where the Republicans like Lindsey Graham stand up and throw, flail their arms. This will be an actual proceeding that John Roberts will, will preside over, and then we'll get real facts to come out. Then it will be up to the real power in this country, hopefully, is the people. And that's what we should have had. We should never have been in this position. We shouldn't have been in this position for the last 20 years. There should have never been a George W. Bush. 
There should have never been an Iraq war and a waste of $6 trillion, and there should never have been a Donald Trump. The people who have the power are us, and we need to start stepping up. Okay. A nice optimistic perspective, Paul. Yes, impeachment is a solution and, and may well be the only solution outside of an election. But then got to have Donald Trump both honor the will of the Senate or honor the will of the people. I'm not so sure about either one, but we'll see. Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the FRED chart on the purchasing power of the dollar and look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call one own gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. We're reading today from Dr. Bryant Welch's book, State of Confusion, Political Manipulation and the Assault on the American Mind. This is in chapter one. Do you think there might be something just a little off in America, psychologically speaking? Of course, there's something wrong. We all know it. And in many quarters, our national behavior hovers on the brink of a very different, even deranged society that many fear is leading to fascism. Many of us play a game of ain't it awful about Donald Trump, and we talk in the latest psychological jargon about how odd and dangerous he is. But that's not really the issue in America, is it? Millions of Americans voted for Donald Trump, and the rest of us were unable to defeat him, the seemingly most incompetent person ever to run for president, and certainly the most bizarre. The real issue in America is what's wrong with our own minds, the 300 million of us who swim in the American pond that has not just led to Donald Trump and his obvious bizarreness, but to this massive breakdown in our psychological stability as a nation that we all feel in the deepest parts of ourselves. A decade ago, I wrote a book, State of Confusion, that addressed this problem and described an ominous series of psychological assaults to the stability of the American mind. In that work, I sounded an alarm over the then emerging erratic psychological behaviors that have led to what we are now witnessing full-blown in America, the destabilization of the American mind. The election of Donald Trump was but a symptom. Harvard University law professor Lawrence Tribe summarized State of Confusion as a vitally important investigation of how a cadre of ethically challenged political operatives and their religious and journalistic allies have gradually distorted and disabled the minds of ordinary Americans and have all but crippled the once extraordinary mind of America. Tribe added, it is not too late for us to reclaim our identity, but we will succeed only if we take to heart the lessons so lucidly laid bare by the remarkable work of this insightful psychologist and experienced political activist. End of quote. We did not heed Professor Tribe's advice, nor have we appreciated the issues I raised in State of Confusion. Instead, the destructive process has continued unabated and unrecognized, and the techniques used to manipulate the already vulnerable American mind have grown more powerful. The psychological processes and dynamics I described back then are very much the ones that are operative today. They are merely worse. 
We have now seen shocking states of psychological denial that our planet is hemorrhaging. Each new season spews forth spectacular new forms of environmental earthly protests of how the planet has been abused, its miraculous natural rhythms so powerfully, rapaciously disrespected. Unprecedented storms, fires, hurricanes, and our newest bomb cyclones give voice to Mother Earth's dismay. And yet millions of Americans, despite this evidence, go deeper into psychological denial. We dismantle our already inadequate environmental regulations created to safeguard the planet, hopefully before it becomes uninhabitable. Is something psychologically wrong here? We have successfully taken the excess out of our First Amendment right to free speech by arguing free speech does not give one the right to holler fire in a crowded theater. But at the same time, when our Second Amendment says we cannot abridge our state's rights to have a militia, we are in some robotic logic required to give every angry person full access to weapons needed to quickly snuff out the life of everyone in that theater or school or concert or nightclub. Any angry person in America, be they terrorist, super patriot, or just someone who'd like to end their unhappy life with a glorious bang, is allowed to commit their own grand form of suicide with semi-automatic weapons that can literally kill another human being every second. Our taxed and now terribly compromised form of mental reasoning has led us to this paralysis in our problem-solving ability. We understandably blame the NRA, but how do we explain their minds? And how do we explain our inability to defeat their minority effort when we look in the faces of the grieving parents of Sandy Hook or Stoneman Douglas victims? Remarkably today, when our most precious surviving youth stand up bravely in protest, they are referred to as Nazis. We can understand these American minds and we can change them, but only if we will put the American mind itself front and center in our awareness and study of it. It's not just our environment that is deteriorating from the stresses we put on it. It is also our minds. In reissuing this supplemented version of State of Confusion, I'll show why the inherently vulnerable, increasingly traumatized, and badly manipulated American mind has reached a point that now threatens America's democracy, maybe even our survival. Focusing on Donald Trump's obvious impairments is a dangerous distraction that keeps us from attending to this real problem. Fortunately, I believe we do have the knowledge and resources to combat the true threat and reclaim the American mind with its glorious commitment to the freedom of the human spirit. But we must confront the reality of our situation now. We don't have another 10 years. I am a clinical psychologist and attorney and have had an unusual opportunity to understand current American political behavior, not only from work with patients, but also in my time spent in Washington, D.C. as a national spokesperson for psychology and mental health. My life passion has been the human mind as it shapes how we feel in the interior of our own personal private space, how it creates the way we experience our most intimate relationships, and how it influences the way we conduct our public affairs. State of Confusion by Bryant Welch. We're talking about this scenario, and it has to do with where the actual power lies in our government. And particularly a lot of people you know, who grew up or went to elementary school, primary school, post-Reagan basically, didn't study civics in school. A lot of schools no longer teach civics, and it's been that way since the 80s. And so, you know, this whole thing about the three branches of government, a lot of people don't get it. Alexander Hamilton lays it out in Federalist Number 78 quite clearly and explicitly. 
this is my describing it uh, rather than reading it to you because it's all 18th century language. But basically what he says is he was trying to sell the Supreme Court. And so he was talking about how harmless it is. And he said, Congress has the power to appropriate and spend money. But that's it. They make the laws. The courts have the ability to adjudicate the laws, to determine who is guilty of breaking the law and who is innocent and define what the penalty will be. So the legislature makes the laws. That's Article One branch of government. The Article Three branch of government, the courts, adjudicates the laws. And then once someone is determined to have broken the law, then the courts hand it off to the Article Two branch of government. That's the executive branch of government, which is where all police power lies, whether it's the military, whether it's the FBI, whatever it may be. In a town, the mayor is the head of the police department, not the city council. Well, I may vary from town to town, but if it looked like the federal government, that would be how it is. So this scenario that I played out, right now we're seeing this dance where it's fairly high stakes, but not quite high stakes, right? Trump is defying subpoenas from Congress who wants to investigate the crimes that he has committed. We know of at least a dozen crimes that Donald Trump has committed, in addition to being unfit to hold office and lying to us 10,000 times and all that kind of stuff, you know, he ordered Don McGahn to defy a subpoena. That's obstruction of justice. He appealed a federal court's ruling after it upheld a congressional subpoena. His Treasury Department rejected a subpoena to turn over his tax. He broke the law. These are violations of the law. And not to mention the 10 or 12 specific obstruction of justice attempts that are outlined in the Mueller report, which clearly points out that Trump broke the law. So right now, everybody's just kind of yelling at each other, and Trump is holding firm and saying, I'm the tough guy. I'm the strong man here. I'm not going to let my people testify. And they're not. So what if Congress pulls out the ultimate weapon that they have, which is impeachment? And they say, okay, fine. We're going to open an impeachment hearing. We now have expanded powers. The Supreme Court will recognize that we have expanded powers. We have grand jury powers. We can compel testimony. We can put people in jail if they refuse to testify. And so they are holding their hearings and they say to Don McGahn, okay, Don McGahn, you better show up and testify. And Trump says no. And McGahn says no. And so Congress holds McGahn in contempt of Congress. It goes to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says, McGahn, you have to testify or you have to go to jail. And Congress says, okay, the hearing's today. Where's McGahn? He's not here. Okay, send him to jail. Well, who do they ask to send McGahn to jail? The head of the Justice Department. They send that request to Donald Trump and Bill Barr. You think Bill Barr is going to put Don McGahn in jail? The limit of Congress's police power is basically the building. They have a sergeant at arms. They have their own police department that basically is there to protect them. And in some cases, to protect them from each other. You know, Matthew Lyon, and I forget his first name, Griswold was his last name. Matthew Lyon was the state representative from Vermont, and Griswold was the state representative from Connecticut. And Lyon, on the floor of the House of Representatives, in 1799, actually, or 1798, this was right after the Alien Sedition Act was passed, Lyon says to Griswold, you, sir, are only defending the interests of the rich. Griswold grabs a poker out of the fireplace 
on the floor of Congress and runs over and hits Matthew Lyon with it. They get in a fist fight on the floor of the House. Who breaks it up? The sergeant at arms. Congress's police. So that's basically what they've got. They've got that police force. That police force is not going to go out and get Dom again. So what happens? What happens when the Supreme Court orders the president to allow his people to testify? And he says no. Now, this has happened three times in our history. And let me just lay this out for you. Twice it was done by a president whose picture is hanging next to Donald Trump as he sits at his desk in the Oval Office. That's Andrew Jackson. When John Marshall ruled that Andrew Jackson could not do the Trail of Tears, Andrew Jackson said, you know, John Marshall's made his decision, let him enforce it. Knowing that the Supreme Court doesn't have a police force. They couldn't stop him. And Andrew Jackson was the commander-in-chief of the military, and he said, go ahead. He said to the Army, take those Indians from Georgia and march them to Oklahoma. And they did. And then two years later, the Supreme Court said to Andrew Jackson, you may not shut down the Second National Bank of the United States. That's for Congress. That's not your purview. Congress created that. You can't do that. And Andrew Jackson did it anyway, which led to the deepest and longest depression in the history of the United States, but he did it anyway. So there's two examples. There was a president that is Donald Trump's hero who did not respect the Constitution or the authority of the Supreme Court. And there was nothing anybody could do about it. And people died because of it. The Indians from Georgia, the Cherokee. The third time this has happened was in 1861 when Abraham Lincoln was sworn into office and he said, you know, that decision of the Supreme Court in 1858, Dred Scott, Roger Taney, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, ruled that in every state in the Union, people of color are property, not humans. And I'm not going to respect that. We're not going to respect that. And the President of the United States defied the Supreme Court. And what happened? A half a dozen states in the South said, the president is out of control. The president is lawless. Our country is falling apart. This is a crisis. We are withdrawing from the Union. And we fought a civil war and 600,000 Americans died. Now, you know, maybe there are other examples that I don't know of, but those are the only two that come to mind. So what happens if Congress starts an impeachment hearing and says, okay, McGahn, and, and it could be anybody, you know, it could be tax returns, it could be whatever. I'm just using Don McGahn as a for example. They, they start an impeachment hearing, and they say, Don McGahn, you have to testify now. This is an official impeachment hearing. The Constitution provides for this. We now have judicial power. Stand before us and speak. And McGahn says, no. The president told me not to. And Congress goes to the Supreme Court and says, hold him in contempt of Congress. And the Supreme Court says, okay, Don McGahn, you're in contempt of Congress. Now, what's the penalty for contempt of Congress? You get thrown in jail until you're not in contempt, until you comply. And so the Supreme Court says to Donald Trump, the guy who controls the police power of the United States, please have Don McGahn arrested and thrown in jail. And Donald Trump says to the Supreme Court the same thing Andrew Jackson and Abraham Lincoln said to the Supreme Court, stuff it. Ain't going to do it. At that point, have we ceased to be a functioning republic? I have an article that raises these questions. It's all over the internet. You can find it on Alternet or Raw Story or Truth Dig or Common Dreams, you know, about the parallels between what we're going through right now and what Rome went through at the end of their republic. I mean, this is, this is literally how the Roman Republic died. The country of Rome continued. 
The empire of Rome continued for another 1,400 years. Rome didn't fall until 1453 when Constantinople was sacked. But it ceased to be a republic around 30 or 40 B.C. with the assassination of Caesar and the starting of the triumvirate and all that kind of stuff. Because basically the rule of law no longer stood. People didn't respect the institutions of the republic. They respected who had the strongest army. It became a nation of warlords. Neither the Capitol Police nor the Secret Service, I mean, they both answer to the president. I get it, the sergeant at arms in the House answers to Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell. And there you may have a little bit of dissonance. What happens if Nancy Pelosi says, well, if Don McGahn wanders into the Capitol building, please arrest him. And Mitch McConnell says to the sergeant at arms, if Don McGahn wanders into the Capitol building, please release him. I mean, you can see where this is going. And Trump has clearly wargamed this thing out, Trump and Barr. And they've decided that they're not answerable to anybody, that they're going to turn the United States into a strongman form of government rather than a small D democratic, small R republic. They're going to use the model of Orban in Hungary, who, by the way, visited the White House last week and was praised by Donald Trump for shutting down the press in Hungary and imprisoning his political prisoners. We're going to go the way of Turkey with Erdogan. We're going to go the way of the Philippines with Duterte. We're going to go the way of Brazil with Bolsonaro. Is that what we're looking at? What are our options? You're listening to Tom Hartman. Stephanie Miller here. If you watch 60 Minutes and you own a home, you just got very nervous. I did. The FBI's former head of cybercrimes warned homeowners that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home and do it all online. That's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked. If you have equity in your home, here's how they get you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, and stick you with the payments. And no bank or identity theft program protects you. You need Home Title Lock, America's leading title and mortgage guardian. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. If cyber thieves tamper with it, we mobilize to help shut it down. You may already be a victim. Here's how to find out. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register for your free title scan and report. $100 value, free with sign-up. Don't let cyber thieves steal your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com like I did. That's HomeTitleLock.com. One more time, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Paul in New York City. Hey, Paul, what's up? How are you, Tom? Tom, just, uh, just so you know, I've been in the military. If the president is impeached and asked to leave, it is the duty of the generals to remove him from office. Okay? Where does it say that in the Constitution? It doesn't say that in the Constitution, but you have an oath that you take as, a, as an officer and a gentleman. So if he's impeached, he's going to be asked to leave. Wasn't there a case where a bunch of guys went to, when Herbert Hoover was in office, and they went to this Marine general and tried to overthrow the government? It was during the Great Depression? Yeah, it wasn't Herbert Hoover, though. It was Franklin Roosevelt. And the, gen yeah. and the, and the general was uh, Smedley Butler. And it was a half a dozen very, very wealthy industrialists. The DuPont family was apparently involved in this, or at least one of the, one of the DuPonts, mm -hmm. and a few others. And Congress looked into it, and Franklin Roosevelt shut down the congressional hearings because he didn't want anybody else getting ideas. 
Tom, my very personal opinion is Congress needs to do their job. They need to investigate. They need to impeach. They need to let the. But how can they do their job if the testimony and the documents that they need to do the investigation are not available to them because the executive branch refuses to comply with it? You're 100% right. That's where Nancy needs to start opening up that jail that's in the bottom and start throwing those people and stuff. She has no police to do that. And and by the the way, that jail in the bottom of the Capitol building. That jail okay. has been holding the uh, Lincoln carriage, the, the truck or whatever. What about the Capitol Police, Tom? What about the, the Capitol The Capitol Police have authority in the Capitol building. Unless oh, Don wow, McGahn wanders tough. into the Capitol building, they, got, oh, they can't do anything. Tough. That's tough. Well, that, then we really are in some problems. That's what I'm saying, Paul. <laughs> I mean, that's, <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, hopefully there'll be uh, people, lawyers that you have that probably know what actual laws can happen over there that will call in. Well, see, the problem is the only branch of government that can actually enforce any law is the executive branch. That's why in the oath of office and in the the Constitution, it specifies the oath of office for the president. And it says that he will faithfully execute the laws of the United States. In other words, Congress makes the laws. The judiciary adjudicates them, and the president is required. His oath of office is to execute those laws, faithfully execute the laws. He is not doing that right now. I, the law says he has to turn over his taxes. He's refusing I to agree. do that. I agree with you 100%. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, thanks a lot, Paul. So, this is where we're at. Nicholas in Sheridan, Illinois. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? I have a little bit of background in the social sciences, political sciences, and history and such. And, and I've seen this coming for a while. And, you know, it's a little bit frustrating, starting back with the previous election. You know, my dream ticket was uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And I tried to suggest that the only person or team that could actually beat Trump just because of the circumstances might have been. Yeah, but this isn't that election, Nicholas, and we're not talking about the election. Okay, but what I'm saying is that I couldn't get a word in edgewise or anybody listening to it. So what I'm saying this time is that don't take for granted that we're even going to have elections to be able to vote everybody out, is what I'm saying. There's got to be, everybody has to be prepared for the possibility that things aren't going to carry on as, you know, the status quo. So what are we going to do? If that whole process is interrupted and there's so much chaos in this country and uh, internationally, what are we going to do if we don't even have a satisfactory election? Yeah. Nicholas, you know, six months ago or a year ago, I would have said, Nicholas, you're being paranoid. Today, I'm saying, today, I'm saying, Nicholas, you may damn well be right. And it concerns me tremendously. It's another dimension of this stuff that we really need to have a conversation about. What do we do? when Trump crosses the next line. But I'm, I'm concerned right now about what do we do with his having crossed this line, which is he's defying the power and authority of Congress, and he controls the police powers in this country, not Congress and not the courts. So no matter what the courts say, no matter what Congress says, he's not going to throw any of his own people in jail. So, Nicholas, point taken. Kelly in Berkeley. Hey, Kelly, what's up? My husband and I were in Greece in 1991, August 18th and 19th, when the coup began in the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. And by December 25th, the Soviet Union was dissolved. And when Trump was elected, I thought, you know, this could be the end of the United States. I mean, this could be the beginning of the breakup. 
This is the analogy in this article that I wrote a couple of days ago, and that's now been published all across the internet. You can find it right now, probably most easily, over at Common Dreams or Truth Dig. It, it was on Alternate and Raw Story, comparing the United States to Rome. Point that I made is that, which is a little different than the point that you're making, Kelly, is that Rome existed for over 2,000 years. In fact, Rome, the the Republic of Rome, or the 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 the, the Roman Empire still exists. It's called the Holy Roman Catholic Church. But, you know, that's the vestige of it. But the official country ceased to exist in 1453 when the walls of Constantinople were breached. But Rome had not been a republic since the B.C. 30s when Julius Caesar was knifed, stabbed to death by Brutus and his buddies, and arguably had ceased to be a republic as much as 50 years before that when Roman legislators basically stopped respecting the rule of law. But it continued to be a country. So it's entirely possible for the United States not to break up like the Soviet Union did, but rather to simply change its form of government, to, uh, which is what Russia did. Uh, you know, Russia went from being a communist government to being a democracy and using capitalism. And then, and then that, ca- you know, that capitalism essentially co-opted the democracy and turned it into a, a kind of a semi-autocracy, semi-kleptocracy, a strongman form of government. And it looks to me like that's exactly what's happening here. And this is, by the way, happening all over the world. We saw this happen to Hungary with the election of Viktor Orban. We saw this happen in Turkey with Erdogan. We saw this happen in Poland. I can't uh, remember or pronounce the guy's name who's the president of Poland. In every case, they basically overturned or just started ignoring their own constitutional checks and balances and declared themselves strongmen. It's it's largely what has happened in Russia. It's what's happened in the Philippines with Duterte. It's what's happened in Brazil with Jair Bolsonaro. And so if Trump stands up and says, I am not going to respect the rule of law, which is what he's saying right now, and his attorney general is saying, and I'm not going to enforce the laws, and I'm in charge of all the police, we are just not going to do it. Sorry, we're not going to play. We're not going to participate. We're not going to play this game of democracy anymore. We are in charge. We have the power. Congress, you can't even appropriate money for a wall. I'm going to take it from the military. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. I share your concern, Kelly, about the possible breakup of our country. That happened once before in 1860, in part because a president, Abraham Lincoln, refused to acknowledge a Supreme Court order, the Supreme Court's Dred Scott decision. But I don't think that we're going to break up. I do worry that we're going to cease to be a democratic republic. Am I making sense, Kelly? Of course you're making sense. I mean, I just think about California being, what is it now, the sixth largest economy in the world. Yes. And are these states going to continue to go along with this? Maybe for a while, but I wouldn't see them going along forever, basically. Well, you've got, you've got uh, fewer than 30% of the population of the United States controls more than 50% of the Senate. California is kind of out of luck in that department. You have two senators for 30 million people and or whatever the population, 20, 28 million. Vermont has two senators for 600,000 people or Wyoming, you know, for 800,000 people. Kelly, thank you. Thank you for your call and for your contribution to the conversation. Laura in Lafayette, Colorado. Hey, Laura, what's up? Hi, Tom. I, too, have laid awake at night wondering if the Constitution, it sounds like a funny thing to do in the middle of the night, but if the Constitution is strong enough for all of this. And I've been thinking as I've been listening to the discussion that maybe it's time to think of something outside of the constitutional framework. For example, just in the way that we think about it, that thinking of Trump as a reality TV host who show 
needs to be canceled rather than a president who needs to be removed. I just think of the of the other strongmen in the world. I think the one thing that gives me hope, and it's a kind of a dark thing to be hopeful about, is that Trump is such a weak person who has a lot of chinks in his armor and notices things like TV ratings and media coverage and the numbers of people in his inaugural crowd. Is there a way for Congress to perhaps exploit some of this by calling in people to on uh, these committees to talk about uh, some of these chinks rather than maybe the Mueller report? Interesting theory. I don't know, Laura. I mean, you raise a really interesting question. I am concerned. I agree with you that Donald Trump is weak, and that's one of the things that concerns me the most. You know, a cornered rat is, is the most dangerous rat you'll ever find at their weakest point. So we'll see. Laura, thank you for the call. It's a good, thought-provoking question. Tom Harvin here with you and Dawn in Norcross, Georgia. Hey, Dawn, what's on your mind today? Listen, I just want to carry this out to the extreme, but I have been thinking about this for months. So just hear me out, if you would. Sure. Donald Trump is an agent of the Russian government. And besides Putin and the oligarchs that support him, he's being supported by multiple Russian enthusiasts, such as Mitch McConnell and other Republicans, and many corporations, all of whom are making lots of money from their connections with Russia and the Russian government. Donald Trump's goal is to destroy the people's will and our democratic republic. He is very much in the process of destroying our institutions and our norms. He's allowing the fight and the animosity between those who support him and those of us who do not is making it easy for our government to fall. When it does, Vladimir Putin and the Russians will be standing closely by to take over. Trump wants nothing more than that. He and his family will be the wealthiest oligarchs and will live like the kings and queens that they think that they should be. Yeah. Tom, I'm not writing a spy novel. I yeah, don't no, no, Don, I, I get it. I get it. The one place where I disagree with you is I think that you're giving Russia way too much credit. For example, Russia was not responsible for a right-wing authoritarian strongman takeover in Brazil. That was the local no. billionaires in Brazil. Russia, I don't think, was responsible for the authoritarian right-wing takeover in Turkey. That was the wealthy Excuse people. Excuse me Tur- for one second, Tom. Sure. But Russia was responsible for putting Donald Trump is president of the United States. And how many senators were put in by Russia's help? You and I don't know that, but we know that they... No, and we know that a handful of Republican senators went to visit Moscow on the 4th of July last year. You know, I get all that. But what I'm saying is that it's not so much one particular country that's like the agent of evil in the world, and this this is, you know, X. It is a worldwide conspiracy of oligarchs and right-wing billionaires to take down small-D democracy, small-R republics, in my opinion. Don, thank you for the call. And I think Russia's part of that. I just think you're giving them too much credit. Anyhow, we'll continue the conversation tomorrow along with a whole lot of other new things as the, as the news rolls along. In the meantime, please don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. What democracy we have left, get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. 
For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 